Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Popper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see uh, what one of my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to first, Dave the Alcadron Vader. How are things? Things are going all right. I... I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm so close to April vacation at my school. Uh, two days, two more, two more days of work. Mm-hmm. And then I get a break. Nice. You just counting the minutes, huh? Yeah. Nice, Tick, nice. TikTok. Got anything planned? Ye- yeah, I have I have big plans. Uh, yeah. I'm going to lay on my couch. I'm Ooh. on rare occasions. I'm going to stumble into the kitchen and uh, make myself <laughs> a sandwich, and then uh-huh. I'm going to return to the couch and eat my sandwich. That's it. The whole oh, plan. Is, that is a hell of a plan. That's I love it. Start to finish all week long. Yep, this couch is where I live now. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Well, our resident PDH PhD Liam is off for a couple of weeks to do some nuptial globe trotting. So for this episode, we brought in a good friend of the show and a prolific deck builder, Paul, aka Scarecrow, as has agreed to fill in for Liam in his absence, at least for this week. Uh, Scarecrow, thanks for coming on. What have you been up to since we last saw you? Or last talked to you was it around Halloween time, yep. I think. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of travel. Just got back uh, this past week from a road trip. Drove like two thousand miles to go see some redwood trees. That was fun, um, mm-hmm. and I'm um, in the middle. Yeah, and you saw you saw a fellow PDHer along the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, I got to stop in and pay Chev a visit and meet him for the first time. So that was yeah, that's cool. awesome. Played a few one v one games that were hilariously bad because they were with decks that were made for four person games. Right. <laughs> and yeah, uh, starting a new job, doing a lot of training, feeling useless. So it's good to be here and feel less useless, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you are always very productive here, regardless of, of the real world. Well, good. Sounds good. Happy to have you on. So, uh, oh yeah, we got to do some housekeeping before we get to the main topic here. As usual, if you like the show and like what we're doing, check us out over on Patreon. Pretty pretty much everywhere I'm getting ready to mention, we are just the PDH pod uh, over on Patreon. And uh, by signing up there, by giving us a little pledge, you get, a, you get access to the pre-show every week, which is roughly about the same as getting a bonus episode just about every single week. You get access to the Discord, where you can hang out, chat with us, get help with your deck, see cute dog pictures, all that sort of stuff. So that's really cool to hang out there, chat with everybody. And then um, you get uh, access to the show notes. I post those along with the pre-show, uh, usually the night before the episode actually goes live. And then check us out over on YouTube, the PDH pod there, and then the, uh, my Saturday streams over on Twitch at, uh, you guessed it, the PDH pod. That's it for housekeeping. Uh, Liam, what do we got for this week in Magic? I am not Liam, and also, <laughs> I don't ever pay attention to Magic news, so I have very this little. This is going to be awesome. But there, uh, there's one piece of information that I would like to say, share with you. It's less about the game of Magic and more about celebrity gossip. It is ooh, uh, ooh, yes, all right. everyone's favorite Magic celebrity, the one person mm-hmm. that you all think of immediately and fondly with love in your hearts as soon as someone says magic personality uh Uh liam got married he is honeymooning as we speak as we record this episode i have every expectation of all of our european listeners 
to see if you can spot him and send me pictures. Yeah. Where's Liam? Play the game. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. That's that's this week in Magic. I don't know that's what it. else is I happening. I think that I, that should trump everything. Yeah, I think it's uh that's uh, it seems like the most important thing that I've heard about. Oh yeah, hands down, all easily. Congrats, Liam. We love you. I'm super happy for you, bud. I'm just imagining all the people that are looking for the Strixhaven Scholar that he has as his Twitter <laughs> image. <laughs> right? His name is Ulf, and he's uh Ulf. he's not Strixhavenian. He's uh, Talarian. That's right. That's right. Because it was the return to Dominaria whenever they were doing timey wimey yeah, stuff. Li- I think Liam said they were flying to Ireland as we were like this week, and then something else next week. I couldn't remember. Yeah, I think. I'm a bad co-host. I remember the word Ireland happened at some point. I don't remember what yes. else was going on. That definitely came out of his mouth. Yeah. Ireland and airplanes and cannot record. We so here's here's the real test. We will we will find out exactly what his plan was when he listens to this and then yells at us on Discord about it. Ah, so see? This if, is, you, if you get in the Discord, you can watch yell, uh, Liam yell at us. This, this is going to be the test. Is he going to listen to the episode on his honeymoon? <laughs> Find out with us. Sorry, honey. Give me, a, give me an hour and a half or so. I got, I got some, uh, some content to absorb. I got to know whether or not they're talking about me. We are. BRB. We, we are talking about you. Yes, we are. Let's let's be honest. Because, he, because we miss you. He won't assume it's just 90 minutes. That's true. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. <laughs> he knows by now. He is he he too has fallen down rabbit holes. <laughs> With the best of them. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's climb out of the Liam rabbit hole to actually get to the main topic. What do you think? I, I'm excited about this topic. Tell me about the main yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. I am too. Well, deck building with signpost uncommons from March of the Machines. That's what we're talking about. This episode comes from our wonderful listeners. We we recently got a suggestion from two different people, I believe, that we should do a deck building episode based on some signpost un- uncommons from new sets. Like maybe even the order. Like last week we did our set review, and then this week we're, we're building decks around a handful of those signpost uncommon. So things like that, I thought it was an excellent idea. Uh, for those of you that may not know, signpost uncommons are typically gold cards, usually two colors, and they, to boil it down, they just point you in the direction of what that color pair should be doing in your limited draft or, yeah, I guess that's really about it. I don't know. I've never done a sealed draft, so I don't know if signposts come in handy during sealed events or not, but uh, draft for sure. Each draftable set has mechanics to build around, and these signposts on commons are an excellent way to build your deck, to build a very playable, sometimes really good deck, and uh, take down your 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 shop's little uh, draft or an arena draft or something like that. Uh, the basic idea in this episode is to take what would be, you know, if you made a very cool limited deck, take that deck and build it into a full-fledged proper commander list. With our March of the Machines set review in the books, we felt like this was a good time to do this sort of inaugural episode on this topic so there are a ton of decent options in this set it's a very exciting set and a lot of really cool mechanics and abilities to build around so i'm pretty excited to get into this uh but dave i can actually hear the people yelling in the background isn't this the same as a three by three episode i'm glad yelling people in the background that you have asked because this is a very topical question that i wanted to talk about the answer is a little bit but not really (laughs) uh right with a three by three, we're trying to really dive down into the center of what makes an archetype functional. 
Like what mm-hmm. what the archetype is trying to do? How how is this archetype going to win? How like what what does a Voltron deck need to put together in order to to be a threat? What does an Aristocrats deck need to do to win the game? And then we're going to kind of compare and contrast how different commanders achieve that thing. Yep. Uh, we don't have any real commonalities here. Uh, with the with the signpost thing, we're not just going to take an archetype and see how different commanders do it. We're each going to be talking about a completely different archetype. The only unifying characteristic is that they all come from the same set. Pretty so, much. Kind of kind of like if if I were to go to my shop and draft Mom, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this commander would make a cool deck. Let me see what I can build when I get home. That's mm-hmm. kind of what this episode is. Exactly. Yeah, this... this when when Derek was hanging out with Shivam on his show, uh, mm-hmm. this was something that, that got mentioned there a lot. Like one of the big appeals of PDH is, you know, build your favorite draft decks in constructed in a, in a format where your draft archetype isn't just catastrophically blown out and overpowered by someone else's like carefully constructed uh, you know, hundred card EDH nonsense deck or whatever. Yeah, that was that was a good episode. I like that analogy quite a bit. Yeah, so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to see, you know, let's let's pretend that the three of us have just drafted Mother of Machines, and mm-hmm. we each came away with a different deck that we really enjoyed, and we noticed that in in within these decks there were uncommon creatures that really drove the entire functionality of the deck forward, and we decided. I wish I could make this card into a PDH commander. How am I going to do that? Yep. So we're going to... And kind of like you kind of like you stated too, like the decks that we're going to present aren't at all the only way to build these decks. Yeah. Like, it's not a three by three. It's not saying, oh, this commander is only good in this deck. So just net deck what I put up there and, and run it out there. No, this is just per- personally what I would do with my commander. Yeah. So think, things that we have decided would be fun for our specific commanders are one of the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. Before that, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what your draft deck might look like. So we, we really are trying to connect this to the limited environment. I hope all of yeah. you are limited, because limited is amazing. And limited yeah. mother machines looks outstanding. Yeah, so it we're looks say, very, very good. You know, if, if you do want to try and draft this deck, what would that look like? What, what cards from mother machines should you be looking for to add to your draft deck to make this a really powerful 40-card limited powerhouse? Yeah. And then how, what different directions could you take this if you made it into a PDH deck? think that was an expl- excellent explanation. Thank you Thank for that. You. My pleasure. All right, honorable guest Scarecrow, do you want to start off the listeners with what mom signpost you picked and why? Is that how we're jumping into it? Sure, I can do that. So I went with the Azorius uncommon creature, Marshal of Zalfir, or I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it is a two drop, two, two for a white and a blue, and it is a human knight. Other knights you control get plus one, plus one, and it has an activated ability for a white, a blue, and tapping your marshal, you can tap down another target creature. So I picked this because it is reminiscent of some very favorite pet cards of mine that are Mm -hmm. creatures that when they attack, they tap target creature. So this, those have an offensive element and a survival element where you get rid of a blocker and you're still able to attack with the same creature. 
This commander does right. something similar. It gives you something offensive, buffing all your other knights, and something that can get rid of blockers or stop something else from attacking you. So it's something I love, but more flexible. And what I really tried to do was lean into that flexibility to where it's a kind of decentralized deck. And looking at it, it can, it can feel kind of good stuffy. And it ends up being a little bit like a dirtily defensive mid-range deck, but mm -hmm. because of the commander's contributions and how you can focus on different aspects of your deck at different times, it makes the whole very flexible and capable in a way that can be kind of hard to do in PDH. Like, I try constantly to make dirtily mid-range decks, and a lot of them <laughs> fail. This one does pretty yeah, well. you and me both. <laughs> yeah, and surprisingly, you know, we've got a handful of knights that aren't just vanilla. Like, we got some pretty cool knights that have some cool stuff on them. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want me to go more into the way the deck functions, or are we saving that for later? Uh, let's hop over to Dave and see what All he right. picked and why. If anyone is guessing about what Dave picked, and you were guessing the Berserk Tier aggro option <laughs> that is red and black <laughs> Aristocrat Voltron with uh, Stormclaw Rager, then you guessed correctly and i ding 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 you are the winner it's true uh yeah i i love red and black i love turning cards sideways i love attacking i love sacrificing things for value so uh yeah i'm i'm just a huge fan of all the things this this deck does uh stormclaw rager is a three mana two two ogre warrior with exactly one ability and that ability is at sorcery speed, which is a huge bummer, but we'll talk sure. about that later. At sorcery speed, for one mana, sacrifice another creature or artifact, put a plus one, plus one counter on Storm Stormclaw Rager, and draw a card. Mm -hmm. This is a carrion feeder on methamphetamine. <laughs> that can also it sack is, treasures. You can... Yeah. Do you guys understand how good clues are when clues cost half as much and there are 40 cards that just make them constantly? Oh my god. Seems good. This sacrifices treasures. So many treasures. Uh yeah, I'm going to later in the show notes. We're not we're not quite there yet, but later in the show notes there is an entire rant about the card big score, which you can look over. <laughs> soon for now remain seated let's hear let's hear what brad's bringing us i got the easy one i got is it but unfortunately the um the blue and red archetype for march of the machines limited is actually convoke but we don't have a lot of convoke at common in those colors i think we have six with mana pips and two that are colorless something like that i just realized that you brought the yargle to the not a three by three I think I did. <laughs> really? I felt I felt like uh, being the only non-red person. I was the Yargle. Uh, no, we we both brought signpost on commons to the signpost on commons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kind of did. Yeah. I think Brad is the, the odd one out here. 
I got the uh, probably the easiest deck to build, but it's not it's not signpost at all because we just don't have much convoke going on. Even though um, Mom brought us a bunch of convoke, it still didn't give us enough to build a whole deck around it, especially at the hundred card level. So this, I, I just took the is it blitz blitz approach, and this deck literally is just going to care about triggering the double prowess and swinging for huge amounts of damage. It is super straightforward, and that's all I got. I can't add any more words to that sentence. Is it pretty simple? It is super simple. Yep, 100% simple. There's no tricks, there's nothing crazy, no no fancy combos, no nothing. Just casting spells, drawing cards, and win or lose. It's going to be over quick. What's wild about this card is that I've I've played many times against Wee Dragonauts. Mm -hmm. Wee Dragonauts is... Like really powerful, and it does half of what this card does. Yeah, I've also you know I I've tried Mercurial Geists before, and it's very much in the same boat as Dragonauts. Yeah, I totally skipped past that. But for those of you that didn't listen to last week's set review episode, shame on you first. But second, I chose uh, Kendra Spell Spear. It's a uh, generic and a red for a two-two Trample Prowess. And for three generic and a Phyrexian blue, you can transform it into Gitaxian Spellstalker. It's a 3-3 with Trample, Ward 2, Prowess, and Prowess. And it's a Phyrexian Jackal. So that's it. So I could add some more words to my sentence, but it was the card itself. Double Prowess. Double (laughs) Prowess. Double Prowess (laughs) on something that has Trample and Ward. I want to say they've spelled out Double Prowess before in the past, haven't they? Uh, there was an there was an Azorius dragon that had spelled out double prowess, I think, but it might not have triggered on certain spells. That's or maybe it did. Sounds familiar. Some kind mm. of sky dancer, some something. The Azorius dragon on signpost uncommon from the cons block, whatever. Fate yeah. forged. I'll find it in a minute. Let me see if I can find it. Sure. It's a race. Yeah, I feel like oh, I have seen cunning, cunning breeze dancer. Whenever you cast one creature spell, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Four, four with flying for six, and it is yeah. from Dragons of Tarkir. Yep. Yeah, that's the yeah. So they have spelled out prowess, prowess before. Although, in fairness, the difference between this and prowess, prowess is that if you want to stop cunning breeze dancer from getting bigger, you only have to spend one mirror shell crab (laughs) if you want to stop the jackal from getting bigger you need to spend two (laughs) yeah because that is separate triggers yep it's two separate triggers you have to counter them separate counter them separately exactly yep on top of any ward shenanigans you may have to pay i really love the 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 casual sprinkling of ward in every set now yeah i I do too i'm a fan of it Mm -hmm. i I love that it's happening, but every time it happens, I just get really bitter that it didn't happen two months earlier, because I'm <laughs> still mad about Essior. <laughs> so angry. So angry. Because of those abilities. Because of those abilities. Because yep. I just I just get routinely blown out by Aether Spell Bombs and Executioner's Capsules <laughs> and, and Oubliettes. And occasionally a yeah. steam surger. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure it will. Ooh, I haven't seen that one in a hot minute. <laughs> the occasional uh, red bounce spell. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, 
the Aether Spellbomb is a lot more of a threat than the oh, Stone yeah, Scourger, because yeah. there's, there's a lot of ways I can give SU a pro red, but it's very difficult to give SU a pro Aether Spellbomb. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Dave, we don't, yes. well, we kind of sort of do and don't have pillars for this episode, but how are we structuring this this here uh this here deck dive i would i would love to tell you about how how i've envisioned this to be structured uh i think we should start out with the draft archetype that you're hopefully going to try to build this commander for so uh if you're drafting mother of machines you see this card and you think that's what i want to do with my draft what else are you going to take how are you going to enable that what what cards are you going to put together to try and make a functional draft deck and that's that's going to get us talking about the themes of the cards and thinking about what they're good with and how they're going to perform. Mm -hmm. And so after we have done that, I propose that we move into uh, what do we want to do with these cards outside of the context of Mom, Mother of Machines, March of Machines. Mm -hmm. March of um, Machines. So we're going to think about from from the entirety of Magic's history how are we going to find cards that are going to come in and uh, help this deck do what it wants to do, and. Uh, yeah, as always, Pillar 3 is how to not run out of gas, and Pillar 4 is how to not die. We can't avoid them. They're too important. They're they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous. They are. No getting away they from those guys. They have to be, yeah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, first up is the, uh, as you mentioned, the elements of Mom that support this archetype. Scarecrow, what do you got? Sorry, starting from a draft perspective, normally knights aren't that aggressively statted. You'll occasionally hit, like, a 3-1 for 2 but they generally, when I've seen aggro in draft, it's been more so about tokens. And knights don't really do that until you get up to the four or five mana realm. So mm -hmm. they aren't usually what you think of in terms of aggressive archetypes in draft. So to me, one of the really intriguing ideas here is using martial in draft to make knights more aggressive. For example, that... 3-1 is now a 4-2, and maybe it gets an extra swing in before it trades away, and that's a big chunk of life in a 20-life format. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, once you start to reach the, you know, turn 5-6-7 area, uh, maybe you're just a little bit short on damage, and that being able to tap down a blocker is what lets your aggro deck finish off that mid-range person that was about to stabilize. So being a little more aggressive than you usually see this tribe being is what I would find intriguing about Marshall in draft. Yeah, I think so. I kind of like what you said. If I would have seen this in any other limited environment, I would probably would have passed it by. But it, for some reason, it feels more intriguing in this set. Yep. I feel like there's more to it in, in Mom this time around. And that's all I had. Just very straightforward. It's a two-drop anthem. It's aggro. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. And you're in the colors, too. If you need to slow it down, you can. If you need to slow the game down, if you need to gain life, you can do that sort of thing. Yep. Dave, you want to go next? I would love to go next. I'm actually really excited about Stormclaw Rager in uh, Limited in Draft because of the way it interacts with the Incubate mechanic. Yeah. And the way it interacts with the backup mechanic. Like, I feel like if you if you look at the list of, you know, the wizards kind of publishes this list of like here's each of the two color combinations and here's like the the basic sort of uh plan that each each color pair is going for like mm -hmm. this deck has its fingers in like three of these plans it's going to do sacrifice <laughs> things it's going to do backup things with plus one plus one counters and it's going to do uh it's going to it's going to take a advantage of the incubate mechanic really well so 
if you see cards like Ichor Drinker, which is, you know, a one-mana body that you can then sacrifice. My, my wife is telling me that it's pronounced Icker. If you see an Icker Drinker, which is a one-mana body that then after it dies, you can exile it from a graveyard for another one mana to create an uh -huh. artifact. Like, this is just two things you can sacrifice to your, your Stormclaw Rager and draw cards yeah. off of each of them, mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's feasible to do that in a single turn. Yeah. Like, in absolutely. an early turn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're just drawing cards and growing a big threat for, like, without spending a lot of cards to do it. That seems big. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We have a couple other sack outlets in, in the form of things like Aki, Scrap Chomper, and Dreg Recycler. These will uh, take down your opponent's life total and draw you cards. There's a couple powerful like death triggers. Mm -hmm. Things like Etched Familiar has a has a really cool death trigger. It's also just sort of like a really aggro threat if you're if you're making your deck really aggressive. Yeah. Uh, Gift of Completion. Has is an enchantment that triggers any time uh, Phyrexian dies. I think. Yeah, when it's uh, Phyrexian, you control dies. You surveil. Yeah, so having something like that that just makes sure that the cards you're drawing from the the rager are really good cards, like mm -hmm. that's powerful. There's also a threaten effect. There's a brand new threaten card in the deck in the set called Furnace Rains. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's at uncommon, so you won't be able to put it into a PDH deck, but you can steal other people's creatures and then sacrifice them. Right. With how much uh, draft I like doing can, that. With how much draft can come down to bombs like that, being able to steal a bomb, whether you sacrifice it or not, seems massive. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I I love threaten effects in drafts. I think they're criminally undervalued. Yeah, that's I I, I think Watsi does too. That's kind of why they're in every single set now. Yeah. I like them. I'm a big fan of them. Yeah. Tell us, tell cool. us about the uh, spell spear. Yeah, the spell spear. Like I said, not not a signpost, but I feel like this is just going to be crazy fun in the limited environment. We don't have a ton of convoke spells in Izzy Colors at Common. Like I said earlier, there's like eight total. Two of them being uh, colorless slash artifacts. One of them came from this set, so I decided to pick the next best thing that Izzy does, and that is you know cast spells more of a blitz package. Uh, the spell spear cares about spell spells for its prowess prowess and then just beating face. Um, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, when I first started to build a deck for this commander, I thought I wanted to get cute with it, like infinite combo lines, massive token strategies, yada, yada, yada. But that's not, that's not what's printed on the card. The spell spear tells you what it wants to do. It wants to get bigger and it wants to get aggressive. You know, it's got trample and double prowess. That's huge. So then I started looking through the set, uh, the mom set. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to deep dive super into mythics and rares and all that stuff. But there is a ton of stuff at the uncommon level that will absolutely pump this guy up, get him through for damage. Like uh, Omen Hawker, for example, is a uncommon single drop it's a one one for a single blue mana you can tap it to add a colorless and a blue and you can spend that mana to activate a, or only spend the mana to activate abilities well that that covers like half of his transform cost right there things like that there's um lithomantic barrage it's a spell that can't be countered that does damage there's uh stoke the flames which is part of that con convoke archetype there's just a crazy amount of really good spells and creatures at the uncommon level and above for either the Convoke 
uh, signpost, the actual signpost creature for the Convoke mechanic, or for the Spell Spear. Either one, because I think they're going to sort of play really well together, because a lot of the Convoke spells in Mom are non-creature spells. Not, I mean, there's a handful that are creatures, but there's a bunch that are non-creatures, and that's exactly what the Spell Spear loves. So I feel like if you are going to draft the sign, the actual signpost uncommon, you're not going to pass up a Spell Spear because they're going to go hand-in-hand in, hand in the deck. So there isn't too much that you need to do here. You don't have to get fancy. Just cast cheap spells, protect the Spell Spear as much as you can, and just do a lot of damage. You know, I'm a huge fan. I think we touched on it quite a bit or, you know, talked really well about... Saba Cryptomancer, the two mana 0-1 oh, flash yeah. with, with backup one, gives hexproof. Like, that is huge in a deck like this because Spellspear is going to be one of those commanders that hits the table with a gigantic target on his back. Uh, yes. So you need to protect it as much as possible. I added one. in, you know, I'm you're going to have yeah. things like Ren's Resolve, which is basically just a functional reckless impulse, that sort of thing. So you're going to have a lot of really brand new commons that are just going to be awesome in your limited deck, and you can definitely expand those out into a full-fledged 100-card um, PDH deck, if you will. Because I used to, when I'd go to the LGS and play Pauper events on Saturdays, like if I just wanted to be more social and have my matches last 15 minutes so I could just hang out with everybody in between rounds, I would play Is It Blitz, because they are over that fast. Win or lose, like your whole match is done in 15 or 20 minutes, and you have an hour or an hour and a half to just hang out look at cards, talk to people, all that, all that sort of stuff. So um, it's an ex- it's a very explosive mechanic or archetype strategy, wh- whatever you want to call it. It's a very fun strategy. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. I, I think I'm actually, like, when we talked about doing this episode, I was thinking, okay, I'll build a deck for the episode. We'll talk about it. I'll put it on Moxfield in the show notes, yada, yada, yada. But the more I think about it and talk about it and look at it, I think I'm actually going to build it in paper and just have a really fun is it Blitz PDH deck? That's my plan. Seems like a good plan. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite archetypes. Heroic and Blitz style is it decks. I love them. And that's one reason I love um, Iconoclast so much. I know there's a lot of CPDH builds for third path Iconoclast that are probably leagues better than my deck, but I just sort of built it as a Blitz style deck that focuses on the whole board of creatures rather than like a Kiln Fiend or a Festival Crasher, that sort of thing. So they're very similar commanders, but this one I want to go more more focused on the commander, getting him through for massive damage and just let the rest of the board ping their way to victory, if you will. What do we have for step two? Step two is going to be how we're going to take these ideas out out of the context of March of the Machines and into the context of the entirety of commons from magic history (laughs) to see what kind of cool interesting shenanigans we can get up to by building a deck like say for example if your commander sacrificed artifacts to draw cards you might be interested in something like i don't know big score oh yeah which makes treasure tokens look at that Mm -hmm. i know yeah (laughs) i would love to hear paul's plan so one of the things you'll notice if you go back through knights over the course of magic history is they love keywords it's a veritable soup out there Mm -hmm. so they tend to be things like first strike vigilance sometimes lifelink and those keywords are very much amplified when you just give them a little bump 
like the difference between gaining two life a turn and three life a turn over three combats turns out to be a pretty good amount and stepping up a vigilance creature means you probably attack with it twice as much because you aren't quite as much at risk when you poke into a larger board state and you can take a bigger creature too and with first strike suddenly you can be so much more powerful in the defense of just one more point of first strike damage so all of these things yeah like like think about how many more think about how many more creatures a three powered first striker can take out than a two powered first striker yep like so combining so combining the anthem with all of these uh keywords ends up feeling like the total is more than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of great comments that kind of emphasize that with newer stuff like kithkin billy rider the one three double strike knight for three that you all talked about in your set review last week or uh going all the way back to uh, ravnica we've got things like liev sky knight that's a three one with flying and then it detains something when it enters the battlefield for three so you have a lot of offensive power with something that's also defensive yeah and then uh also from ravnica you get things like um azorius knight arbiter that's a two five for five with vigilance and it can't be blocked and it's a knight so that's suddenly three unblockable damage every turn and a six (laughs) butt on defense that seems good the amount of continued value that you get from that is just astronomical so i'm very much leaning on the keyword style the keyword soup style of cobbling things together and just combining that with the anthem effect to get consistent damage over time as well as a stronger defense that is a solid plan i like it and that's all i've got i like it dave how are you using the entirety of magic's history for the rager do y'all know about a card called chromatic star i do yeah i do i've heard of that i've played it a couple times it's good it's pretty good uh legend has it that it has an activated ability that does something about mana filtering, but I don't care. It is a one mana artifact that includes the text when it is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card, which means that that, that, that works really well with your commander. Huh. It really does. For one mana, you can play this artifact, and then for one mana, you can sacrifice it to the battle rager, the, the Stormclaw rager, and then you draw two cards. <laughs> This is just better than divination in oh, a red black aggro aristocrats deck. Yep. <laughs> Seems good. And there are like 12 of them. Yeah, we have a Terrarium. It is awesome. Panic Spellbomb, Nihil Spellbomb, Ikerwellspring, Wellspring, Wellspring, I guess. I don't know. Uh oh. Wellspring, Prize Statue doesn't draw you a card when it goes down. It just makes another treasure yeah crazy prize statue is a two mana makes a treasure when it comes in makes a treasure when it dies that so two mana to cast this thing plus the three mana it takes to sacrifice all three of those artifacts it's five mana for draw three cards put three counters on your commander yeah nimble right schematic is the same implement of combustion implement of malice both of these things draw you a card when they die dusk legion zealot Guild Sworn Prowler, Novice Occultist. These are all I am, creatures. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I have become a huge fan of Guild Sworn Prowler. Guild Sworn Prowler is nuts. So good. It, and it's only been in the, like, the last three or four weeks. I, I guess I've just largely ignored it for the last almost year. <laughs> it's a really good card. And like 
I love in this deck. It's a pivot card in this deck. It can sure. be an aggressive thing that you use to attack because it's a two-power death toucher for really cheap. It can be a blocker. If you resign yourself to not needing to draw a card off its death, you just sit there and block with it because it's a death toucher. Right. Exactly. If you need a card off it, or if you need two cards off it, you just sacrifice it to your rager, and now you have put a counter on your guy and drawn two cards. Yeah, because you get to draw if it wasn't blocking. So if it's yep. just sitting there, or it's at you know the end of your combat and it was attacking, you're like, oh, I need some cards. Let me go ahead and sacrifice it real quick. The the tragic thing is you cannot sacrifice it in combat at all, because uh, the sacrifice ability is only sorcery speed. Sorcery so speed, correct. You can right. you can right. sacrifice it during main phase two after yeah, it's attacked. There you go. That works. So yeah, just the the number of cards. Uh, I, I actually I went through and I, I tagged the cards that draw either when they die or when they come into play. Just mm -hmm. the, the the number of cards in my my build of this list that'll just draw you an extra card off of being sacrificed to the Storm Rager is twenty nine. Whoa! <laughs> I really yeah. hadn't I hadn't thought of the similarities between this and Garna previously, but that really draws attention to them. Yeah, like not all twenty nine of them are good. Like right. some of them are like wedding invitation, which isn't bad. I mean, it's not terrible. Yeah, it's you can. It's the floor of wedding invitation here is just a divination. You two two mana to cast it, draw a card off ETB. One mana to sacrifice it, you draw your second card for three total mana, or yeah. could use it to make your guy unblockable or something yeah, like. If, if you uh, need those final points of life, you know, or whatever combat. Yeah. Sleeper Dart is similar. It's a two-mana artifact. Eat, draw a card and ETB. You can spend a mana to sacrifice it for another card. That's what it's in the deck for. It's just a divination that puts a counter on your guy. Mm -hmm. Or you could tap and sacrifice it to make target creature not untap. Not great. Sure. But, not great. I mean, it, it's going to keep your hand full, which is pretty important. I think this Storm Rager is going to die all the time. I think oh. she's just going to get murked <laughs> constantly. I think, I think you're going to sacrifice three things, and someone's just going to blast her, and you're going to be like, that's fine. I will recast her, and I will sacrifice three more things. So you need yep. to keep... This isn't the thing where you like empty your hand on all the stuff. This is the thing where you keep your hand full with terrible cards like Sleeper Dart. <laughs> because Sleeper Dart is divination that right. puts a counter on your guy. So yeah, that's 29 cards of my deck. Uh, another 23 are things that make treasures repeatedly. Oh, that things is a like lot of treasures. Sticky Fingers makes a treasure mm. every time the thing connects. Beamtown mm -hmm. Beatstick makes a treasure every, thing the thing, every time the thing connects. Some of them aren't treasures. Uh, hoarding Ogres, lots of treasures. Honestly, I think... And the, the treasures are good here, too, because like you said, the Rager's going to die a lot, so you could use that to recast her. You or... could. If she's on the board, you can just draw cards. Yeah. Yeah, so something like Unexpected Windfall is going to, you know, it's it's card draw by itself, and it creates two treasure tokens. Mm -hmm. And if you sacrifice both of those to the to the Rager, you're just drawing four cards <laughs> off of your Unexpected Windfall. Yeah. Yeah, I've also got a couple, couple of these cards make blood tokens. Things like... Um, mm, that's spicy. I like that. Yeah, the Ceremonial Knife makes a blood token every turn. Uh, Vampire's Kiss just makes two blood tokens, like for free. Mm -hmm. for so if you're hmm? if you're expecting your commander to die a lot, are you equipping the token making equipment to your commander or to other creatures? Whatever you think is going to get through. <laughs>
And I, I love that you're so focused on combat. Like cere- ceremonial knife is, you know, it makes a blood token on combat damage. Yeah. But you're just like, it makes a blood every turn. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know only war. I don't understand not attacking with things. You put the oh, you put great. the axe on the body and then you send it to someone's head. Like that's yeah. That's how you play magic. I don't That's how you that's how you swing an axe. Casting spells, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, that's like pretty much the entire deck. There's a couple other people like there's a there's a, a couple ways to give her trample. There's a couple ways to give her double strike. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's the entire deck. Hey, I feel you. The spell spear deck is really straightforward. You know, one of the things I love about these, this episode, this topic, these commanders we picked, you know, future episodes where we do this sort of same thing with new sets, is they're all super. I don't want to say linear, but they're all very. It, they're doing even in PDH, they're doing what a signpost uncommon should do. They're directing you on how they want your deck built basically. And it's super fun. It's a really cool exercise. It's a super cool idea. So, um, anyway, my spell sphere deck is literally straightforward. By the time you get done listening to this episode, you're probably going to be tired of hearing the word. Is it blitz or blitz? But it is, it is just that we want all the cheap spells. We want all the combat tricks, double striking stuff, that sort of thing. We want as much unblockable as possible. Like Artful Dodge is one of my favorite ones. It's sorcery, mm. target creatures, unblockable with flashback for a single blue. Yeah. It's so good here. Um, so we got rebound one too, right? Yeah, that's in the deck. It is... Uh, I just blinked on it. Because it's, it's in that Jeskai deck. That you yeah. And, uh, Liam and Brownie made for me. Distortion and, Strike. Yeah, yeah, that's it. In, yeah, one, in some very minor ways... I like the rebound a tiny bit less mm-hmm. because it's so choreographed. Like when it, the, it, it's just sitting there, like everyone's looking at it. <laughs> right. Like the the first time you cast it, it's a surprise, and you're like, you, you just point at someone, and you're like, you out of the game, you're dead. And then it just sits on top of your library, and the other two players are staring at it, being like, hold up, <laughs> like wait I, a second. I know what happens next turn, <laughs> and, yeah, then, I, and then there's there's no plausible deniability for like whether or not you get just beaten up and thrown in the garbage can. Like it's coming. Well, yeah, the I first mean, time. There is the political aspect of, oh, don't worry, I'm just going to kill Bob, not you. <laughs> yeah, it's, you, it's you fine. can try to get away with that. But the, the first time, I, first time I played that Jeskai Prowess deck, I played with, I can't remember the full pod, but I know Abby was there. And I had cast Artful, or not Artful Dodge, Distortion Strike, like, you know, full retail or whatever. And it went into exile, put it on top of my library. And then the next player went, the next player went. And I think I was player two, Abby was player one. And, like, halfway through her turn, she started asking, who's that Distortion Strike going to hit? Where's that going? (laughs) What creature are you going to cast that on? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It is very, very telegraphed. But it is so good because you get the second casting for free. So right there, yeah. it gives plus one, plus O, oh, and unblockable. So that's – it'll be a 6-5 unblockable for free. I mean, that's that seems Ca- good. <laughs> casually. No big deal. Casually, right. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I mean, it, it literally is we're just trying to go cheap. We're trying to go wow, fast, and we're wow. trying to do – Hold up. That? That, that card by itself is the 6-5. Yes. So then <laughs> – Assault strobe is the eight power double strike. That's it. That's all Dead. you need. That's death. I mean, that is death. 
So yeah, assuming you know, figure out how fast you can get this sucker transformed, and Yikes. you might you might kill someone the next turn, or that turn if you have a haste enabler. That is like, savage. It is super savage. Well, I hadn't even figured that out when I was building this deck. I was like, okay, what kind of combat tricks do I need for lethal on one swing? Yada yada yada. But that's it. I mean, that's two spells, and one of them is free. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. Y- the the transforming it doesn't like trigger summoning sickness. You don't you don't need to give it haste when you transform it. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yep, yeah, you're right. You're right. Good call. Good call. I don't play with a lot of transform cards, except so for is it blitz? Is the backside considered a multicolored creature? The backside is both red and blue, right? Yeah, yeah. it's color color identity is red and blue. Mm-hmm. You, okay. Are, are so you there's of... <laughs> yes, ahead, psychotic fury. Yes. Psychotic fury. Just... Yeah. <laughs> I was counting the number of double strike spells we have at common, and we are currently sitting at five. Assault Strobe, Psychotic Fury, Raking Claws, Timber Battle Rage, Uncaged Fury. Yeah, Psychotic Fury's in here. Gives the yeah. target multicolored creature double strike till the end of turn, and you draw a card. Yep. Okay. <laughs> like, that's fine. <laughs> seems like, that's, pretty good. Seems that's good. pretty decent chances that you Assault Strobe and kill someone with your Distortion Strike one turn, and then... There's a non-zero chance you have another double strike card in your hand for next turn. Yeah, but to you know to enable this stuff to to sort of dig through Magic's history to support this archetype. Yeah, I went with like Artful Dodge and Distortion Strike. Obviously, the classics that you'll find in every Blitz list is Preordain and Ponder. Cheap ways to trigger prowess to dig through your deck to draw you cards. Uh, I even went back to Ice Age or Fifth Edition if you like for Imposing Visage. Just a single mana red enchantment yeah. that gives creature menace. <laughs> I love the art on that card. I do too. It's wild. Because I was looking for a way to give menace without investing completely into like a goblin war drums, which can be three mana, et cetera, et cetera. I know there's equipment in that, but I wanted something that at least, I don't know, seemed cool. And this this seems cool. So imposing visages in there. Uh, Teamer Battle Rage, it wouldn't be a Blitz list without Teamer Battle Rage, basically. And then kind of the whole supporting cast around the commander. Kiln Fiend, Thermo Alchemist, Kessig Flame Breather, Festival Crasher. Uh, I haven't decided if I want to go the full-on like Nivik Cyclops and all that sort of stuff. But those three are for sure are going to be the, be in there. And what I love about those, not only do they get huge when you cast spells, just like your commander, but they are also... Uh, targets for removal, hopefully to take away from your commander. I mean, if they're wise, they're probably just killing your commander anyway. But I don't know. I'm a fan of them. It's not un, you know, it's not unfeasible, infeasible. I don't know if that's a word. It's not infeasible to swing for you know with Kiln Fiend and your commander and Festival Crasher to swing for like thirty or forty in a turn. You know, given double strike and trample and all these spells you're casting and stuff. And I I threw in uh, gut shot for free. That sort of thing, just is it, it the cheapest I could possibly make spells? They are in here. Like uh, if I scroll down, the the deck's total mana value is 143 off. That's 60, not 66 cards, I think. Yeah, not counting lanes. It's like just a hair over two, right? Yeah, 2.2. Two. It's not terrible, I don't think. That's that's really low to the ground. It's good. Yeah, so that's what I was trying to do. You know, I went deep with like. Crimson Wisp, which is just a red mana target did, creature becomes red and gains haste draw card. Like, did you okay. 
did you cut lands based on the Xerox idea? Like, for, um, for every three or four cantrips you have, you can, that are like one or two mana, you can cut a land because even if you have a low land hand, you can use your cantrips to dig for them. I am aware of that theory, and I did. I used to do that quite a bit for my 60-card pauper decks because I understood that math a little better. I don't know how that translates to PDH, but yeah. I, I'm, I am open to that option, absolutely. If I remember correctly, the rule of thumb was every three cantrips, you get rid of a land in 60-card mm -hmm. formats, and when I occasionally make use of it in Popper Commander, I've I've been doing it a little more conservatively. I've been doing it like at a four to one ratio, and then I only end up cutting like probably three lands at most. So it never gets nearly as extreme as you see in sixty card, but it still can help you a little bit. I think. Well, if I use I did it earlier. If I use the highlighter and I type in the Oracle text draw, it comes up with twenty three options. So I have twenty three cards in my deck that say draw a card on them or at yeah. least draw one card so yeah that, that might like... actually help because i am definitely open to that option I, I like doing that in 60 card pupper but yeah i think it's something to try out right now my deck's at 35 lands because i just started with that and filled in the rest but yeah i could i would be okay with going down to 33 34 32 somewhere in that yeah. range 34 sounds like a good place to start testing it because like when i'm thinking four to one cut a land i'm also thinking starting point of 37 so oh that's fair sure 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 so yeah and you know i've got things in here like galvanic relay that'll fill my hand and silly flame rift that'll damage everybody like just <laughs> you know crazy ways that cost cheap to damage the board get life totals down get cards in my hand and let's just let's boogie that's what i'm talking about i i love the flame rift plan i think if I, I were almost building... went, I almost went with a dragon's approach plan, but I was like, no, that's oh. a little too like, mm, I don't know. I, yeah. It would be feasible. Think, you could absolutely do it. It's a little too but... cute. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think. I think if I was building this deck, I would have. I I would have not used any of the Kiln Fiend and Company guys, and mm -hmm. I would have not used Flame Rift. I would have just gone all in on commander damage. Yeah. You know, I thought about, I was, I was torn when I started typing this list up. I think I landed on this because of my 60-card Blitz addiction. But I was right. thinking, you know, this this could almost be like a Sailor's Bane deck where you're just all in or mostly in on your commander and everything else is spells. I, I think um, that is a mistake. I think your mm -hmm. version of it with the Flame Rifts and the Kiln Fiends and the, the other prowess guys... Just the, the the distributed threat. I think that's going to be more effective mm -hmm. and more fun. Oh, more fun! So for I sure. was actually, I was actually thinking the other direction in terms of effectiveness. I would, in my head, I'm thinking cut the uniform burn and keep the kiln fiends because they're this commander is going to be a removal magnet, mm -hmm. and this allows you to still make use of all your prowess stuff even if your commander gets removed the moment before combat. Right. Yeah, and that, that's what so, I was kind of saying earlier, too. They're, they're extra removal targets, you know, they're backup damage if you need them, if you can't flip your commander right away. And even, even the front side has a little bit of prowess and, you know, stuff like that. Or if it's just not on the board at all, at least you still have some, some damage. You're just not casting cards for free at that point or for nothing. But on the other hand, I guess the symmetrical burn would allow you to sit back if you've been caught off guard by removal and would allow you to recover without drawing as much ire as, you know, still having a kiln fiend that gets massive every turn. Yeah. 
that cannot defend you at all. Right. <laughs> all I'm thinking here is that I I am a pal, and I am contractually contractually obligated <laughs> to never cut Flame Rift from a deck ever. It's it's what it's it's clause three. It's right near up the top. It's very clear. Yeah, you, you signed off on it. Flame Rift has to go in red decks. Those are the rules. And I, I, I respect and appreciate and agree with the rules. I'm here for flame rifting, everyone, <laughs> all the time. So, yeah. I love how all of us having different uh, ideas about it very much goes back to the idea of these aren't the only way to build these decks. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of hoping for for, for these types of episodes. Oh, I, I actually completely forgot to mention something on that thing. Like, when we were talking about how the Stormclaw fits into the March of Machines context. I talked about these threaten effects, or the the, the one threaten effect of March of Machines. Mm -hmm. You could turn that into the entire Stormclaw Rager deck if you wanted to. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. If, if I you probably decided will. <laughs> not, <laughs> right? I mean, it didn't work for uh, Carmella. It might work for Stormclaw Rager. Yeah, I mean, when you have such an easy sack outlet in the command zone that draws you a card, like... You you could turn this into a, a really nasty, dedicated, I'm going to steal all of the things and then sacrifice them constantly deck. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's another direction you could take it. I, I think the biggest reason I didn't do that is because I already have that deck built with Yudi. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's that's a little like not I don't wanna I don't know what the word is. It's not unintuitive, but like if you were to draft the Rager, I anyone other than maybe us three wouldn't just be like threatened tribal. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it doesn't yeah. automatically read like that. So um, that was probably yeah. a good call. Yeah. So I've got something similar to what you were describing with Dire Fleet Warmonger at the helm. Three drop, three, three. At the beginning of combat on your turn, sac you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, Warmonger gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. So just yeah. threaten, steal something, beat face, repeat. Yep, 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 yep. But yours with uh, Stormclaw Rager drawing you a card it's so much more repeatable and you're going to have better resources for replaying your commander when it gets removed because you were because you killed someone else's commander too many times right honestly i think one of the biggest differences for me between these two things is with the stormclaw rager you get to attack with the thing you stole and then yes. sacrifice the second mm -hmm. main oh, and like yeah. that's good point that's like a solid 60% of the fun of stealing things for me is like is getting hitting to them with use their own them creatures yeah <laughs> before i trash them into the garbage so i've been testing some blood boil sorcerer shenanigans Ooh. and i've been noticing that i tend the opposite way unless it's like specifically a political thing in the late game where i where someone is the arch enemy or like i'm manipulating life totals unless it's something very specific like that i tend to like no i want to sacrifice this thing for value instead i mean blood boil lets you do both right um, you can, so if you hit the threaten, you can main phase one threaten, combat step attack, and then like if it gets well, blocked or whatever, you could you could choose to sacrifice it in response. But if it gets through, you sacrifice it second main. But what I've noticed is that I don't. I usually have an idea before combat. I either want, I either want it to be blocked or I don't. Either I'm trading it and I'm not sacking it for value, or the sacrifice is what I really want and I don't. And if someone's just going to block it then i'm going to sacrifice it anyway it just well, okay i don't all right, all right. yeah yeah like yes there is an in-between but it's not usually what i want yeah that makes sense yeah i went uh pretty i i, 
I think I literally just took a 60 card blitz list and just blew it up to 100. Like my creature package is still only eight creatures total. The Festival Crasher, Fire, or the Firebrand Archer here for the Pingers, the Flame Breather, Kiln Fiend, the Cryptomancer, and then Alchemist, and then I added Sea Hag and Sword Coast Serpent, and that's it. Everything else is a, is a freaking draw spell, a burn spell, or something, something of that nature, or a combat trick. How much um, defensive stuff, like defend your commander from removal, do you have in the deck? Uh, protection, I have quite a bit. I think that's down further in the how to not die. Okay. Yeah, I think we'll touch on that here. Actually, uh, yeah, pillar four. <sighs> so speaking of the next step, Paul, you want to tell us about um, pillar three? How are you going to not run out of gas with, with your Azorius Knights? So going back to the draft archetype, we talked about this being more aggressively tilted. And whenever I was talking about the reason I wanted to build Marshall of Zalfir, it was because I was going to build it in a dirtily mid-range direction. So how... <laughs> What's the core of how I'm doing that? Where am I getting my value that enables me to compete in the mid and late game? And the first little inklings of that come from a few nights, like I mentioned Liev Sky Knight earlier, where you get an ETB effect and then you still have a body. There's a fair bit of that mixed in with knights. There's a few that can trip, uh, such as Griff Rider. No, sorry, Griff Vanguard. Mm -hmm. Flying 3-2 for 5 whenever it enters the battlefield, draw a card. There's a few like that that have a cantrip when they enter the battlefield, and those will help extend your hand just a little bit. Yeah. But outside of that, you actually have to reach outside of Night Tribal. So there's Monarch and Initiative cards, which there is a little bit of overlap with Goliath Paladin being a 5-drop 3-6 with Vigilance, and it's a Knight, so you end up with a 4-7 Vigilance, but you also get Initiative when it ETBs. And whenever you have a 4-7 that's attacking every turn, it's pretty easy to both take and keep the initiative. Like, that's where the defensive side of this deck really starts to show its chops, is when Monarch and Initiative are on the field, and you're the only one benefiting from them. Oh, like, sure. We've, we, all know, we all know how the Pals and Alk usually view Monarch and the Initiative. It gets passed around like crazy, <laughs> and what I've seen so far testing this deck is it does not like to share. So these become massive card advantage engines for this deck. And then... The... I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Does not compute. Con con confused Ongabunga. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Elk, Elk, I've got something for you. So going back to attacking, there's even more card advantage. Because I've mixed in a few... Um, like Stealer of Secrets types effect. That one's not in here because its butt is small, but I've got Scroll Thief. That's a 1-3 whenever it deals combat damage to a player, draw mm, a card. Mm -hmm. And there's a few others. Uh, Soul Knife Spy. It's a 3-2 three, for 3 whenever it deals damage to a player, draw a card. So these aren't knights. They aren't directly related to the Anthem part of the commander. And what I noticed whenever I was paring down my deck was a lot of the knight cards were getting cut because they didn't do anything but be a big body. Sure. So I've actually cut the knights down to like the low 20s, if I remember correctly, in the deck. And instead, there's a lot more card advantage because what I'm focusing instead on is the commander's ability to tap down defenders, which lets me get these combat triggers more consistently. So if I play a three-drop creature 
and I'm attacking with it, and I get two draws off of it because I was able to tap down defenders, and then it dies. Mm -hmm. That's a divination that also dealt damage to someone's face. That sounds good. So, Mm -hmm. like, they aren't always useful. You can't always get them through, but it doesn't take much to make them still really... Even though they're not directly knight tribe. Right. See, drawing... So, yeah. Drawing cards ETBs, by attacking Monarch someone. Initiative, combat. This I understand. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm speaking once again his language. <laughs> yeah. And just kind of, we, t- we touched the bit that wasn't Night Tribal, and now we're getting back more in a thematic way. The other thing I did was I included a fair bit of equipment, and that includes some great things like Goggles of Night. Mm, yeah. Love so, it. so I can turn anything into a scroll thief. Right. What, what would knights be without their, you know, shiny toys and swords? Oh, yeah, so absolutely. There's a, and then that also gives you, like, Trailblazer's Torch, the equipment, ETB initiative. So, yeah, I got some fun toys for the knights to play with. I, I like the direction you went, too. I know you kind of already explained it, but, like, you weren't just like, well, knight tribal, I need 47 creatures that say that they're a knight. Like, you went with some, like you were just talking about, some value creatures, ETB creatures, combat damage, you know, value, that sort of thing. And then the knights that you did add are actually really good, like Double Strike and the new knight from from Mom, new, the new Coalition knight, brings an extra 2-2 with Vigilance to the battlefield. And Knighted Mirror gets Double Strike. Like, these are really good creatures on their own, and they just happen to be knights. Like, I like what that your yep. knight package is actually very powerful. It's not just... Because it's knights, I'm going to fill my deck with knights. Like you, you picked very specifically very good knights, and I, I, I can appreciate that. Yeah, I feel like, in a sense, trying to build knight tribal mid range where you go hard on the knights with this commander. Right now, with the knights we have available, it's a bit of a trap. I think if you go full knight tribal, you need to be a more aggressive deck. You need to cut out a lot of the the card draw in order to make room. Oh, sure. But I, I also think that's where a lot of these uh, under-supported tribes at common or uncommon seem to fail in PDH, like Soldier Tribal or Knights mm, Tribals, because yep. people are just like, oh, it's a lord for knights. Let me play 52 knights. I don't know why the number keeps getting bigger. Uh, but <laughs> let me play a bunch of knights, and my deck will be good, and then it's terrible, and they're like, I don't know what went wrong. I'm never playing this again. So I think you had a, a, yep. a very interesting, a very good approach with this deck. And for someone that isn't listening to this episode and looking at the deck list, I feel like that could make it difficult to evaluate this deck because it seems like just kind of some good stuff thrown together. They would, and you really they would it. open the link and expect 62 knights, and there's just not. So, yep. but yeah, you gotta, it's very good explanation, good deck. I like it. You got a link to this episode in the primer. <sighs> that's oh, actually oh, a fantastic That idea. is the smartest thing that's ever been said on this show. This is why they call me Dave the Ideas Guy. <laughs> Oh, and then I can never change the deck list again. <laughs> well, well, you just there have is to, that. There is that. You have to you have to keep very careful track of which cards you've mentioned by name in this show, and never change those ones. <laughs> but like you could change the other. Card. <laughs> yeah, I got to learn to use that custom tagger feature yeah. that you make such yeah. good use of. The, the custom tagging is a huge part of Moxfield. I love it. Yeah. <sighs> All right, Dave. I know it's yeah. like kind of printed on your commander, but how do you not <laughs> run out of gas? <laughs> uh. So I there's one big principle here that guides my decision making, mm-hmm. and that is storm rager gonna storm rage. That's sage advice. That's how you not run out of gas. Yeah. You uh, you you do the thing that your commander says to do, and then the cards just 
multiply in your hand. They, they just appear. They just materialize yeah. from nowhere. Yeah, you, I like that. You, you play one chromatic star, and then there are two cards. In your, it's like the Hydra, right? Cut off yeah. Head and <laughs> yeah. You play one star, and two cards replace it. Yeah, you play a Iker Wellspring, and all of a sudden there's four cards. <laughs> three cards what? replace three that cards. one. Iker Wellspring oh. is nuts. Nuts. Yeah, that makes yeah sense. This, this thing just multiplies frantic. Yeah. Like, Wait, so you're just making sure you're not playing blue? No. No, no, no. I'm playing the... the so there's there's one color combination that, in my experience, better at drawing cards than blue, uh, and that's Rakdos. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. I mean, so like... My my favorite Rakdos deck is uh, Azra Oddsmaker, and oh, uh, yep. it is a Berserk tier aggro deck that is just consistently discarding to hand size because it draws so much so consistently. Like this is a deck that's just packed with two mana threats, and I'll be on turn six, you know, making my land drop, playing three cards from my hand, none of which draw me cards, and I'll still discard the hand size at the end of that turn because I've drawn too much from the odds maker. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried that the Stormcall Rager is gonna be the same. I'm worried that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna play the Iker Wellspring and you're gonna play the Chromatic Star and you're gonna crack them to put counters on and you'll be like, oh, I have eight cards in my hand. <laughs> yeah. I <guess> I better... <laughs> oh, wait, what happened? <laughs> yes. Whoops. Did my, my bad. math's bad? I guess I'm yep. gonna discard the hand size now. <laughs> like, I'll discard yeah, I can see this that Knight's being, Whisper. Being a yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, my commander's kind of the same. It's sort of not 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 as clearly spelled out on the card as yours is, but mine wants you to play a lot of spells as fast as you can. But in order to do that, you know, you'll you'll run out of cards in like two turns. So you gotta keep your hand full. And basically I'm just using things like Behold the Multiverse, Galvanic Relay. You know, any of the 23 draw spells that are in the deck, you know, I was kind of like you where you were like, oh, the, the sleeper dart and the, the wedding announcement or wedding invitation. I was kind of like that. Like I picked Crimson Wisps just to draw a card. You know, I have Expedite in here just to draw a card. Like, sure, I could hit Kiln Fiend with an Expedite, maybe give it haste or whatever, or draw a card. But it's mostly in there because it says draw a card. You know, I could be talked into like Warlord's Fury or Crash Through, things like that that are just super cheap draw me a card and i don't know if you've ever seen a firebrand archer with ophidian eye on it <laughs> but that gets <laughs> that gets real good at filling your hand real fast the uh for some reason uh what i always run into instead of the ophidian eye it's the sigil of sleep oh the mm. sigil too that's a good one i hadn't thought that's about gross. that that is gross and then there's um tandem lookout you know i could be talked into that as well sort of does the same thing you know, I could see this deck, you know, Aphidia and I coupled with like Gal Galvanic Relay and all that, I could definitely see the discard to hand size problem happening here as well. So after that, it's just one, one of the things I struggle with most playing Blitz decks is because is my mana itself. Not that I don't have enough. It's that sometimes I tap the wrong mana because I don't know what I'm drawing next. If that makes sense. Like I'll, t I, it just always works out that way where I'll tap I'll, I'll tap my mountains for something and then I'll draw a red card or I'll tap my islands for something and I'll rip a blue card off the top and I can't cast it. So I don't know if that's just inherent to this sort of strategy or archetype, but I always find myself with that problem. So I did add a few mana rocks to help out kind of smooth that a little bit, but I'm not expecting the, the, the blatant problems like that in this deck because it's, it should be a little more smooth, smoothed out at this, um, at this level in this format, particularly. 
but yeah, I'm just drawing a bunch of cards, like trying to draw as many as possible and trigger the commander as po as many times as possible and all my other creatures, and we'll just go from there. Hope for the best. The uh, the storm and which mana you tap idea is interesting, especially since you're being more aggressive, so you, it is a little harder to incorporate like the tap lands that can give you either color. Right. Because you don't want to suffer that tempo loss as much at the beginning. Yeah, and the deck like this really, really does suffer from tap lands. I mean, I have them in here just because I think you kind of have to, at a, you know, to a certain amount, but they can hurt for sure. Like, I have 35 lands, like we talked about earlier. 29 of them are just basic untapped lands. Well, I guess in Takashi's dig site. I, I have some fetch lands and some tap lands, but, you know, I toyed with the idea of a gates package, but then I thought, well, that sure, if it gets to go off, that's adding a handful of power, but how much tempo did I lose because three turns in a row I played a tap land? So, yep. But yeah. Speaking of speaking of gates, is um, is Rager running gates? Uh, yes. There's a gate that makes treasures. Okay. Oh, yep. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a gate that makes treasures, and there's a gate that makes your Voltron commander bigger. Like, uh, the the persecution rests, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I know that like we talked about it earlier. My my total mana mana value of this deck is super low, but I still put in Tavern Brawler just because it's an extra card every turn and a little bit of damage. I just wanted all the cards that drew me cards. I I'd still have trouble remembering to go look at the common um, backgrounds, like. I don't think the double strike one works real well with Marshall just because it's fairly small, but it definitely feels like it should always be considered every time I have a white deck. And what's the, um, totally blanking on it, there's a blue instant combat trick, target creature gets shadow. Um, I mean, are you talking about the one with uh, flashback? Yes. I used to run it in my 60-card Blitz deck. Um, I think it's Rebound, not Flashback. Shadow Rift. For a single blue target creature gains Shadow until the end of turn, draw a card. I just there I just go. now remembered Cantrips. it, so that but that's probably going in the deck because it's very versatile, but that's probably going in the deck now since I just remembered it. So Kind of like Dave with his artifacts. I don't care what the effect is. I just want to draw a freaking card, man. Put it in my hand. Come on. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what cantrip evasion tireless tribe used in popper i want to say it was shadow rift but I oh yeah it might have been shadow rift back then mm -hmm. and see like i didn't put gush in this deck because i don't want to lose the islands yeah so N not to mention being two color it can actually be surprisingly hard to have two that's islands, true especially if you're running like tap lands that aren't <laughs> that islands. Aren't typed yeah mm -hmm. so yeah other than that i'm just trying to draw cards man uh earlier we were talking about i was talking about like getting in damage and stuff team or battle rage all that sort of thing i also have like souls fire in here so if my commander gets to 16 power or whatever i can just smash somebody with him and he doesn't die it's not like a fling or whatever so that's always helpful too i do wish we had more more flings and deal damage to player equal to i power. do too i searched for so long soul fire is just good there, there are a handful that do it but it does it to target creature not to any target or player or whatever anywho I think our pillar three, or this uh, category here, is pretty straightforward. What do you got, Scarecrow, for the last pillar? How are you going to stay alive? 
or more specifically, how are you going to not die? So kind of splitting this up, how am I personally not going to die? And then how are my creatures not going to there die? There you go. So I've already kind of touched on how am I not going to die? Vigilance, life link, tapping down things that might attack me. Um, one kind of nuance of this ability for someone that hasn't dealt with it before. One thing you can do is you can wait until your opponent's first main phase. And when they start to go to combat with something scary, you tap it down then. And now it is not available to attack or to block. So with good timing, you can open them up to other players attacking them and open them up to you attacking them while also being defensive. Mm -hmm. So that is a really powerful tool for this deck to have. And you may do that like once, twice a game, getting that perfect thing. But when you do it, it's just, it can be a pretty big tempo swing, especially if you're against, if you're tapping down a combat focused commander where you're just right. like for, yeah, for this turn, you don't get to do your thing. Like uh, in a practice game with my, the night deck, I was using it on uh, Null Warband, the Myriad mono red five, five with menace. <laughs> That's just rude. That is. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get to it. Rude and awesome. And I'm going to hit you in the face next turn, too. Right. So that's one of the ways that I stay alive on top of big butts with vigilance and lifelink. So there's just a lot of different elements coming together. And you won't even have all those elements every game, but you'll have enough to stop a lot of damage every game. And then on top of that, there's also like a political element, Mm -hmm. like... Hey, I'm going to tap down your commander. It's scary unless it's attacking someone else. Yeah, if it's not coming at me, you can have it. Yeah, which two mana doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're using it every turn, paying for Marshall's tap down ability can actually slow your tempo quite a bit. So using politics to make sure you don't have to tap things down can be really beneficial for your tempo as well. Yeah, and I think Azorius, especially Knights, is just perfect for that. Yeah. And then, so moving away from keeping my creatures alive... Um, keep moving away from keeping me alive how do i keep my creatures alive uh-huh. so something that can be kind of hard to see when you first look at this commander is it's a tribe that has a fair number of two butts in it and sure you're pumping those uh-huh. up but then if someone drops a fiery candidate <laughs> right sure your other knights that have the anthem on them are big enough to survive but if your commander dies because he's a two butt then everything loses the anthem and then maybe some of your other knights die so there is some vulnerability to this cascade of dying so going back to my equipment sub theme a lot of those give vigilance and a buff like the new equipment that came with this set core halberd Oh, one drop so good. That, I love that one so much yeah, that gives plus one plus one in vigilance so I'll equip that to my commander I'll attack with it. Before blockers, I'll tap down something annoying that would block. I'll get a bunch of damage through. And my commander now is a three-butt, so it won't die to small board Right. Mm-hmm. And those also help keep some of my other, like, a little more fragile creatures alive through hairy combats. So, And um, the other upside there is there's a lot of flexibility in terms of I have Trinket Mage, which can go get some of those equipments or removal. So just more ways to be flexible about stopping the very biggest problems i have like this deck doesn't pack a ton of removal but what it 
does have is flexibility because of the flexibility in the tap down ability combined with a few tutor packages that can give me the right removal at the right time. Sure. And that's all I've got. No, that sounds good. I, I, I like the look of the deck. Oh, Dave. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> what does Are you going to not die? Red black deck have in the control category? Weirdly, almost <laughs> nothing. Wow. Uh, there's there's a couple cards that will kill something and give me an artifact. I, the, the new it used to be called Grim Bounty when it was a sorcery, but now it's an instant and it's called Deadly Derision. That's the one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, I'm kind of not worried about it. Like, my. My plan for permanent removal is player removal. Uh, turns out, I don't know if you guys knew about this, but if you deal 16 damage to a player from one commander, uh, all their creatures die. Yeah, their whole deck dies. Like everything Their whole dies. deck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you kill, you destroy destroy all their creatures, destroy all their lands, yeah. destroy their hand. It's, it's powerful, powerful control magic that we're doing here. So that's my plan. I am a little worried about things getting blocked for that, we are going to run a pestilence. I think pestilence is really good because, like, if if your deck is working, you probably have a six six at least commander. Sure. And it shouldn't be hard to keep pestilence around for when you need it. I really like swirling sandstorm in this deck. Swirling sandstorm is a four mana red sorcery that, if you don't have threshold, if you don't have seven or more cards in your graveyard, it does nothing. Yeah, stone nothing. Just pure dead card accomplishes nothing no text no effect if you have threshold this four mana red sorcery common will deal five damage to each creature without flying Mm -hmm. usually i i I love this card in theory i think that in practice it is a a lot more clumsy and a lot more awkward than it looks like it's a removal spell that gets blanked by a relic of progenitus which is not (laughs) Not what you want out of your removal spells. It's, it's going to be hard to find a commander that can survive it. I mean, I, flyers work, but like red red doesn't have a ton of those. So it, there's a lot there's a lot that can go wrong with this commander or with this removal spell. I think that this is the deck for it. I think that you're going to be consistently your commander's going to be a six butt or bigger, so you don't have to worry about killing your own guy with it. I think that you're going to be just yeeting stuff into the graveyard so constantly that I think oh, that consistently, yeah. mm-hmm. having threshold and maintaining it is not going to be a problem. And I think this is going to clear out a lot of little one butts or, or even, even little four butts. It's going to get, it's going to get those pesky little four butts out of your way. So you can swing in with your six, six or your seven, seven or your 10, 10, however big your storm rager is. Right. So yeah, I like it. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, let's move to the last deck here. The Spell Spear. Well, again, it's a Blitz deck. So the typically the only way Blitz decks do not die is that they just have to go faster than the opponents. They're, in order to do that, Spell Spear itself has to stay alive on the battlefield for as long as possible. So that means I'm going to have to pull out cards like Cloud of the Dominus to give it some Shroud, which I don't really want to do a whole lot of because... I also want to be targeting the spell spear with some combat tricks. Shroud, so Shroud stops the assault strobe. You don't want yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So I put that in there. I think, I don't know if it's good or not. I mean, it's a good card. I don't know if it's good in this deck, but I just love the Dominus. So it's in there. It's one mana. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The big old kill, killing fiend or what have you. Mm-hmm. Cryptomancer's in here to keep it alive, give it some hex proof if it's being targeted. And then outside of that, honestly, it's just as much counter magic as I can fit in. You know, OG Counterspell, Arcane Denial, Confound. Um, if you need to get rid of a key blocker, I put in Sapphire Charm, that sort of thing. Uh, normally with a blue X commander, any sort of blue commander, I almost first thing just slam dunk a flicker package into the deck to protect them, get extra ETBs, maybe get some plus one, plus one counters, that sort of thing. But Spell Spear does not like being flickered because it's going to come back on the front side. And while it does have the the prowess and the trample or what have you it is at a much less aggressive rate so it's going to take you longer to to kill with the front side of the commander so that's it a little bit of hexproof a very just a pinch of shroud a bunch of counter spells and then just go as fast as you can that's it i don't expect to win a lot of games with this deck but i expect to kill a lot of individual players with it because it will like you said dave a rebounded distortion strike plus an assault strobe that's lethal and that could be on like turn five or something <laughs> that's crazy that's just monstrous like, that that's... is monstrous like you don't ever you just don't like it's one of those things where you you know oh what are you playing oh okay it's prowess prowess whatever trample okay cool and then all of a sudden you're dead and you're like i don't know what happened i'm dead he cast two spells and i'm dead i don't, right. I don't know <laughs> if I remember correctly, there was someone talking, I don't remember if it was on Reddit or Twitter, about just doing a turn one or two kill with Spell Spear without even transforming it. Really? Yeah. It was, you know, the usual culprits of, like, I have Simeon. Uh, okay. Is okay. The, Lotus yeah, Petal, like yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you've got some rituals, but then it's like the last ritual like the last lotus petal or something also triggers your prowess for the first time and then you have a double strike spell yeah and see what uh you bring up the rituals that was another thing i was sort of on the fence about because i use as many of them as i can in my iconoclast deck because it just makes more creatures it, it it triggers the pingers more often but i wasn't sure i totally wanted them in this deck i, yeah. g- I guess i could be talked into it but yeah. iconoclast plays a lot more card positive draw spells yeah exactly so that's it. That's how I uh, propose to not die first, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? You guys are gonna you guys are gonna play your decks? You gonna love it? You gonna work on it for a while? Or yeah, I seem to be accumulating a lot of these dirtily mid range decks recently. Between yeah. like this and um, Wing Mantle Chaplain and one or two others, so I need to like really get down to brass tacks and figure out which one of them I like best. And honestly, this one feels really good. Like it, it makes itself arch enemy less than Wing Mantle Chaplain, so it feels more flexible. Wing Mantle Chaplain gets itself painted into a corner by making too many birds, and people don't like that. Right. That was powerful, so, though. I faced it. It was powerful. <laughs> there was right, a look, lot everyone, of birds. I have birds. Attack me. <laughs> I like the Chaplain. You know, and a good thing too about blitz decks is you don't really have to be like you're you're just going so fast and so linear you don't have to really be like political and you don't have to like worry about so many things it's it's definitely not a brain dead type of deck it's not anything like that it's just every card does what it's supposed to do 
and your commander does what it's supposed to do, and that's it. There's not a ton of decision trees. Maybe, sure, you have to figure out which combat trick is going to hit which creature and yada, 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 but it's not like this super big you know, mind puzzle of a deck, and it's just it's fun. These these decks are a blast to play. I don't know if... if are you a big Blitz player, Dave? Do you play typically like Spellslinger-type decks? Uh, so I... I did a I know you have like ago. the 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 league mage or guild mage or whatever, but that's a that's a token. That's like a go wide deck. It's yeah, very, yeah. It's, it's actually very slow and clumsy. Um, mm. A million years ago, I had a Spellheart Chimera deck, which was mm-hmm. this was before yep. Crackling Drake existed, and I I liked the idea of it in theory. I liked the idea of just it, this was my whoops all spells deck. It had zero creatures, zero artifacts, zero <laughs> enchantments. It was literally just lands and instants and sorceries. Amazing. Um, and it still like did really well, shockingly well. And I, I really, really disliked the play pattern because it basically didn't participate at all in the game for the first five turns. Right. And then killed a guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I was lucky, it killed another guy and then a third and I won. And if I wasn't lucky, someone killed me or, like, you know, killed my commander enough times that I couldn't do anything. And that guy I killed on turn six just got had to sit there and watch the rest of our 30, yeah, the 30 next minute, hour 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I decided I just really, really disliked the play patterns. I liked the idea of building this Whoops All Spells deck. I didn't like how it played, so I took that apart. Yeah, that's very true. And like I said earlier, like, if I wanted to go play in a paper popper tournament but i didn't really feel like playing i just wanted to hang out i would play blitz because the games are over in 15 minutes like the match yeah. all three games are over as in a, 15 minutes <laughs> as a 1v1 strategy i love it like i i still i i also built the slaughter master uh, you know a million years ago and that yeah, yeah. one is still together uh that one is uh, theoretically it's super fun in in a 1v1 setting i i i dislike it for all the same reasons in multiplayer uh and i don't really play it anymore so this may be the but, kind of commander that shows up the the spell spear that shows up in a one v one or I think it could PDC yeah. or whatever. This thing feels so, like it has one v one potential. I feel like we just need a pod of Dargo Rogrock and spell spear and slaughter master. <laughs> who, who's your fourth? Oh <laughs> golly! Oh oh! Illuminator um, virtuoso. Milova. Milova. Oh, Maliva, yeah, 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 yeah. Get tenth, some white tenth, in there. Tenth district oh, there you legionnaire. Go. Yeah. Um, and now you have all five colors. Yeah. I was I now was I, thinking the uh, Illuminator Virtuoso is the mono-white version uh, of uh, yeah. the oh, yeah. Slaughter yeah, Mono-white Blitz, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I did want to ask you guys before we ran out of time. The Honestly, this deck, I sort of just threw it together. I didn't do like this huge like dive on it or anything. But the thing that kept sticking out to me is how to... I guess it wouldn't be a huge deal, but I'm worried about affording that transform cost while still paying playing spells. Is that a concern, or am I just overthinking it? I kept looking at it like the turn I transform, I'm not doing much except holding up a counter spell. It's gonna ha- That's how it's gonna have to be, right? Like, yeah. There's not really a way to cheat that or make sure. At least like... the first time. I think this. I think if your commander gets removed and replayed, you'll have enough mana to do something. The when next come, time, um, yeah. yeah. The sec, the second time, you should have enough mana for, you know, transform it, plus a spell you know, or two. Okay. Reckless charge, oh, swing so for, what, <laughs> nine? <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Yeah. Casual. NBD. Fine. Yeah, just casual. 
cool. Yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever there's one of these decks that kills one person really fast, like it's not necessarily something I would want to play all the time either. But I do really, really enjoy the analysis aspect of if I'm trying to be competitive, whose deck is the hardest counter to mine. Therefore, I should kill them first as hard as possible. Like just yeah, the uh -huh. intellectual side of that thought process, I enjoy. Yeah, um, I am. Well, I think as 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 Scarecrow has seen in a pod most recently, I am not great with threat assessment. But yes, I <laughs> I absolutely agree with with that mindset. To be fair, both of those games were. Uh, it took me a minute to wrap my head around them too. Yeah, they were wild. They, yeah. All right, well, that's our decks. I hope the listeners like them. I hope they get a little inspiration from them. If you crack some of these uh, sweet commanders or or if you decide to build a PDH deck around one of the other archetypes, one of the other um, signposts on commons, let us know. Post it, post it somewhere. Hit us up on Twitter or the home base or the, even the PDH pod discord, whatever. Show us what kind of deck you're going to build. Because there's some sweet ones. It's not like we sifted through these and we said, ah, they all kind of suck and these are the three best. Like, no, I think each one of them is very playable. Uh, the blue-black one's sweet, the green-white one's sweet, all that sort of stuff. So I want to see what decks come out of this set. Ah, what do you think? You want to get to a question? Yeah, I think I think we've been talking about these decks for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should talk about something else real quick and then and then go do something else. Go do uh, non-podcast stuff. Yeah, I can that's, hear my wife chopping up that, stuff yeah. in the kitchen. That's Hopefully code you for can. bathroom stuff. Right, bladder stuff. All right, <laughs> not all right. Non podcast stuff. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, get to this listener question. I know it's been quite a while since we've had one, and we'll try to keep it short. But at Mick Debo asks uh, or says, PDH changed life total rules to thirty and sixteen, while dual PDH changed it to twenty slash twenty or twenty five slash twenty one. Do you know why this is, and what are your thoughts on it? I know Paul, you had some. Uh, either the reason or some thoughts on it. What do you got? Yeah, so I can give you all the short version, but for the long version, I actually wrote out a short article whenever the Popper Duel Commander Committee first was announcing its existence, and they were first puzzling through what do we want our initial rule set to look like. So the short version was you can kind of just look at two commanders for examples of why this happened. Most groups started with 3016 just because they were running in parallel with popper commander yeah so sure. okay that's the default assumption so what caused problems first well 16 commander damage is really really achievable with something like slippery bogle <laughs> yeah it sure i mean is. it gets it gets to 20 in 1v1 popper 60 card popper incredibly fast yeah so 16 even easier so that's what six, necessitated 16 and you can't gain life <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Like, that's what necessitated changing commander damage to 21 so what was the problem that caused issues with 30 wells um if i remember correctly it was baleful strix was too good at defense so they needed to bring commander. They needed to bring your regular life total down. So it's all. It's almost bit. like the opposite of commander damage. Like commander damage was too easy to achieve, but thirty life was too hard to whittle them down. Right. Yeah. So baleful strix was really dominant in. I think it was Brazil until they brought life total down. But if they brought life total all the way down to twenty, 
then some very aggressive go-wide commanders yeah. such as Loyal Apprentice were going to be absolutely dominant. Sure. And some of those aggro commanders still are very powerful at 25 and are concerning, but it's still better than it was at 20. Yeah, so it's a nice little cushion. Kind of these, yeah. All these problem cases that were kind of pushing towards this center solution of 25-21. Is that what you got, Dave? Pretty much just a, a good balance. Yeah, I I was going to go into a lot less detail. I I was just going to say like a, a lot of people who have played this game a lot just exhaustively have found that these are the numbers that create the best balance between aggro and control and combo. Uh, yep. the, the the lowered life totals give aggro a chance, but still allow you know a, a very good control combo deck to to come out of it in the end. And the the difference between multiplayer dynamics and one v one dynamics mean that you know for one setting it's thirty sixteen and the other it's twenty one twenty five, and uh, yeah, just that's where it works the best. That's the sweet spot for for right now, but uh, it is something that you know I I play a lot of games that are forty twenty one because I really enjoy stupid grindy long games of Magic. Yeah, uh, sure, sure, sure. Sheldon asked me a couple of weeks ago why I should why he should respect the the rules committee, and I said he shouldn't. If you <laughs> if you have a better way to play PDH than than what we got on our website, play PDH that way. And bring it uh, on, I stand yeah, by that. absolutely. Like, if yeah. you are a pal, you want to go forty twenty one, do it. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of the people playing exhaustively, like the popper dual commander committee getting together was not the beginning of them playing either. There had been people playing for yeah. It, I mean, a while, yeah. As a concerted effort, like what a year and a half at least before that, like with this specific effort of trying to figure out what life totals needed to be used, and then before that, like back in the beginning of PDH's history, there was a lot of like, oh, I can't get a full playgroup together, so I guess we're playing one v one. So there is a lot of history and some people that have been playing years and years and years of one v one. And it's not like this rule set was just made on a whim by someone in a month. And just also for clarity, I may have written the article explaining some of the reasoning, but I had no hand in picking out the life totals. So uh, sure. it's not like I'm promoting my own opinion. No, you're good. I think you had a very good explanation. So I, I wasn't sure either. So that was a good question. Yeah, oh. good question. All right. I think uh, we're going to move on into the outro here. Okay. So. Other Go stuff ahead. is calling, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, other so. stuff is definitely knocking on the door. <sighs> All right, a few more things before we wrap it up for a week. If you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. Head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. That'll take you right to their Discord server um, normally. Well, I guess Liam is still on Twitter. So you can find him at Popper Command. You can find me at Popper underscore B. And you can find Dave as Alcadron, just about anywhere else PDH is being talked about. Mr. Scarecrow, where can the listeners find you? Uh, pretty much everywhere on the internet, I am Scarecrow1779. Perfect easy enough yeah i'll put all the links to all that stuff down into the uh down to the show details you can just click on them and find them just about anywhere and yeah that brings episode 44 of the pdh pod to a close but we want to give a big thanks to mtg brad for letting us use their original music for the show and from everyone in here to everyone out there draft those signposts brew a deck and we'll see you in about a week peace cheers bye forever i brought the party
Brock Pop protects the party.